following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Well, we all understand that germs really exist and can make us sick. And therefore, we also know the importance of washing our hands in order to prevent sickness to some extent. But for small children, not only do they, do they not see germs, but they also lack the knowledge of germs and their danger. And thus, they usually don't feel the need to wash their hands unless their parents tell them to do so. And that's part of why small children usually get sick more often, more easily than adults. In a similar way, we live in a fallen world where there are such things as demons that are invisible but are truly active to wage war against God and His people. And because demons are invisible spirits, Christians are often very naive and ignorant about the threat of demons and the necessity of fighting against the demons. So it is vitally important for you to know what the Bible teaches about the demons. And more importantly, it's important for you to know how you can and you should overcome demons by the power of Jesus. The Bible records miracles of Jesus casting out demons by His power in order to bring your attention to the reality of demons and the spiritual battle and also the certainty of Jesus' victory over demons. That's our hope in the spiritual battle. And this is what we are going to see in our text this evening. What I want to show you from this text is this. Jesus, by His divine power, delivers His people from demons. Jesus, by His divine power, delivers His people from demons. We will consider this text under three headings. First of all, the mystery. The mystery apart from Jesus' delivering power. Second, the victory. The victory of Jesus' delivering power. And third, the response. The response to Jesus' delivering power. So first of all, look at verses 1 through 5. We will see the mystery of being apart from Jesus' delivering power. So the Gospel of Mark, one of the purposes of this Gospel is to show us Jesus is the Son of God who possesses the divine authority. In Mark 4, Jesus powerfully calmed the wind and the sea, and this action showed His divine authority even over the creation, and thus demonstrated His identity as the Son of God. And in verse 1 of um, chapter 4, chapter 5, excuse me, we will see Jesus cast out demons to show His divine authority over the demons. Now Jesus and His disciples arrived at the other side of the sea, which is the, count, which is the country of Gerasim. And it is likely to be a Gentile area about four miles southeast of Capernaum. And there was a hill descending all the way sharply to the water of the Sea of Galilee. And there were also many caves suitable for tombs. Now in verse 2 of our text, 
when Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man, we are told, from the tombs with an unclean spirit met Jesus. And notice that this man was with an unclean spirit. Unclean spirit, what does that mean? That refers to the demon. And this was this man was possessed by a demon. So now the question is, who are, who are those demons? Who are the demons and what are they like? Well, demon, demons are fallen angels. And in the beginning, they were created by God to be good angels, serving and worshiping God. But when they chose to disobey God, they became demons with Satan being their head. As we are told in 2 Peter 2.4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, and therefore they became demons. The demons had superhuman power. They can deceive and accuse God's people. They can even possess unbelievers. They can also cause physical damages to people, as we see in the life of Job. Demons are always opposing God and His people. But they are not almighty. This is very important for you to understand. As superhuman as demons are, they are never almighty. Only God is almighty. Nor are they omniscient or omnipresent. So never believe the lie that a well, demon can be um, all-knowing of whatever you have done before. No, he can't. They can cause damage to people only so far as God sovereignly permits them. Now, notice how miserable this man was, being possessed by the demon. We are told in verse 3 that this man had his dwelling among the tombs. The Greek language could also mean that he lived in the tomb. The tombs in Jesus' day were likely to be abandoned burial chambers, which were either in the caves or hewn into the sides of the cliffs. Tombs are where corpses are buried. And according to Numbers chapter 19, touching corpses would make a person ceremonially unclean, defiled. So for the first readers of this text who knew their Old Testament scripture, the tombs would be a very troubling, gloomy, and dark picture of spiritual death, darkness, and defilement experienced by this very man here. So this man was in darkness because he had lost his mind to the demon's control. This man was being defiled because he had been subdued by the demon, doing nothing but what the demon willed. This man, though physically alive, yet functionally dead. The demon is not only defiled, himself, but he's also a defiling creature. The demon delights in throwing men into death and darkness. We are also told in verse 4 that this man had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he was able to, to tear these shackles and um, chains apart, and no one was able to subdue him. And obviously, his strength came from the demon. Other people around him tried to bind him with shackles and chains, maybe because they were protecting him from hurting himself, or maybe because they were preventing him from hurting others, or maybe both. 
But the consequence is clear that he was isolated from his countrymen. Instead of enjoying family and friends, this man could not but dwell in desolation. No one was able to, to subdue this man, not because he was so strong, but because he was subdued by the demon. This man was screaming constantly night and day, and he was gashing himself with stones, as we are told in verse 5. He screamed and cut himself because of the control of the demons who tried to destroy him and make him sound and look scary to other people. The demon was doing all that he can to undo what God created to be very good. God created light and life. God created man to enjoy family and friendship. Yet the demon worked so hard to put man in death, darkness, desolation, and destruction. So let me ask you this evening, what is your attitude toward demons? Do you realize that demons actually exist and they are active? Even now, they are active seeking to distract you from the Word of God. Or are you oftentimes naive and ignorant about the nature and work of demons? Do you stand watchful and defensive against the demons? Or are you careless and even indifferent to the threat of demons? Thinking that, oh, since you don't see them, so you don't need to care about them. Are you troubled by the mystery of unbelievers who are oppressed by demons in one way or another? Or do you just don't care? You might think, well, I've never seen such dramatic, demonic work like this in our text. Then why should I even bother? Well, but the reality is, although the demons may not manifest themselves exactly the same way as in Jesus' day, nevertheless, the intention and nature of the demons have never changed. Today, as much as in Jesus' day, demons are still a hater of light and life and a lover of death and darkness. There is no doubt that the demonic work is behind the agenda of abortion because they hate lives. Does it trouble you at all, brothers and sisters? There is no doubt that the demonic work is behind the intention and action of suicide. Does it trouble you at all to see the news reporting how many people commit suicide in each day? Today, as much as in Jesus' day, demons are committed to opposing God and His plan. There's no doubt that the demon is seducing unbelievers to hate Jesus more and to tempt believers to love the world and to attack the peace and purity of the church. No doubt about that. Does it concern you at all? For those of you who have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus, the reality for you is that you are right now under the slavery of Satan and the demons. Although not all believers are demon-possessed, to be clear, nevertheless, all believers are in the bondage of the demons, serving Satan, resisting God, and without God's mercy, they will end up with nothing but unquenching fire in the hell. As we are told in Ephesians 2, before our conversion, we were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. 
it's referring to the demons. All unbelievers without exception are under the bondage and slavery of Satan and the demons. To my friends, if you don't believe in Jesus, this is, this is exactly your condition. Being in the hand of demons with no hope whatsoever. You need Jesus, my unbelieving friends. And Christians, this is a reminder for you as well. This is a reminder that you should never envy your unbelieving friends, no matter how successful they are in this life. Rather, you should give thanks to God for delivering you from such miseries in the hand of demons. And you should feel nothing but pity and compassion for your unbelieving friends as they are in such misery. How they need Jesus' delivering power and grace as much as you need it before your conversion. So we have seen the mystery for those without Jesus' delivering power. Now we will see the victory of Jesus' delivering power over the demon. Verses 6 through 13. Now this hopeless man saw Jesus from a distance, his only hope. And he ran to Jesus and bowed before him. It is clear that this man ran to Jesus by the demon's control because in verse 7, he begged Jesus not to torment him, which obviously comes from the demon. The demon knew that Jesus was the son of the most high God, fully divine, and thus fully able to destroy him. The demon knew fully well that Jesus was the seed of the woman, who would bruise the head of Satan, as promised in Genesis 3.15. The demon knew clearly that Jesus, was, Jesus would one day cast him into the eternal torment of hell. So such knowledge of Jesus made him dread and shout loudly, What business do we have with each other? Which is an idiom essentially meaning, Stay away from me, Jesus. So out of the fear of such punishment, the demon asked Jesus not to torment him. As we, we see in the end of verse 7, I implore you, by God, do not torment me, said the demon. Now in verse 9, Jesus did not answer his request. In fact, Jesus did not have to. As the Son of God, Jesus had no obligation to answer anyone let alone it was a request from a defiled and wicked demon. Jesus simply asked him in verse 9, What is your name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, what does Legion mean? Well, Legion is a Roman military unit of about 6,000 soldiers. And the idea of legion is simply that this man was possessed by multiple demons not just one but multiple demons why did jesus ask his name it is meant to demonstrate that jesus power was such that he was able to cast out even a great number of demons the victory is not determined by number but by quality jesus the son of god a divine person in flesh was infinitely more powerful than the whole number of the whole of the most powerful creatures those demons it took him no effort to drive out all the demons from this man he was able to restrain and conquer all his enemies and our enemies 
Now Zuriah told him verses 10 to 11 and 12. The spokesman of the demons pleaded with Jesus not to send them out to the country, but rather send them to the swine they were feeding nearby on the mountain. So we don't know exactly why the demons desire to stay in this region and why they wish to, to be sent to the swine. We don't know. Perhaps it's because they were so used to being in the same region and to dwell and control certain objects. Anyhow, Jesus permitted them to enter the swine, according to verse 13. But surprisingly, surprisingly, Jesus did something more than they requested. Look at verse 13 very carefully. We are told in verse 13, this large herd of swine rushed down the deep bank into the sea, and there were about 2,000 swine, and the result was that they were all drowned. And certainly, this is a supernatural act exercised by Jesus. But what happened here is indeed very, very puzzling. Why did Jesus not only send the demons to the swine, but also send, or at least permit, the swine to run into the sea and all drowned? Well, Jesus did this in order to confirm the reality of this miracle. Jesus did this to manifest his divine power over the demons and thus to authenticate his identity as the Son of God so that no one could have any excuse to deny this miracle. No one could, no one could ever say, well, this is by the psychological therapy. No, no one could say that. Verse 15, then tells us what happened to this man after Jesus cast out all the demons. This man was no longer screaming, no longer scaring people, but now he was sitting quietly by Jesus' feet. This man was no longer cutting his body and tearing his clothes, but now he was properly clothed with no more self-cutting action. This man was no longer a puppet of the demons, but now he had his right mind back to him, and he would have been able to recognize and say hi even to his family and friends. This miracle is a true historical event done by the Son of God incarnate. This miracle is a foretaste of Jesus' authority to destroy his enemies and to deliver his people. This miracle is a part of the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will bruise the serpent on her head. This miracle is also a picture of how Jesus can restore fallen humanity from death and darkness back to life and light in God. Or brothers and sisters, you share essentially the same experience as this man did. You were once helpless and hopeless in the bondage of the demon, being blinded, living in darkness as a consequence of your own sin. You were once a slave of Satan, pleasing him and serving his kingdom, while you were an enemy of God, displeasing him and storing his wrath upon you. You could not save yourself. You have no way to save yourself. But Jesus, your almighty king, delivered you from the demon. Jesus, your king, gave you a new heart by his spirit 
so that you might come to him to receive his light and life. Jesus, your king, subdued your mind, affection, and will to himself for his holy purpose. Jesus did so by his sovereign power, by his abundant mercy, and his free grace without respect of any of your merit. Indeed, you have no merit to earn such delivering grace. If it were not for Jesus' gracious deliverance, then you would still be an enemy of God today, manipulated by the demon and damned by God. Nothing is more miserable than that. Therefore, brothers and sisters, how you ought to praise and thank Jesus for his delivering power and thank God the Father for sending Jesus for you out of his undeserved mercy for you. Even if you are a true believer, demons are still trying to devour you as much as they can. As we are told in 1 Peter 5, the demons are like roaring lions seeking those whom they can devour. Even if you are a true believer, demons are still attempting to sift you just as much as they sift Peter like wheat in order to destroy your faith, as the Apostle Peter experienced in Luke 22, 31. Demons devour and sift you by convincing you that death is better than life and life is cheap. Demons devour and sift you by casting doubt in your heart about God's goodness, especially when you are in trial. Demons devour and sift you by accusing you of your previous sins as though Jesus' blood was not effective and he did so to make you despair. Demons devour and sift you by tempting you to compromise God's moral standards and to seek the joy of worldliness. So, brothers and sisters, do not be naive about the demons, but do not fear either. Rather, fight against the demons, staunchly, watchfully, by the power of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, has once and for all defeated the devil for you by his cross. Jesus has promised you that no one can ever snatch you out of the hands of God the Father and God the Son. Jesus has also supplied the full armor of God to resist the devil and his works, as we are told in Ephesians 6. Therefore, you have no reason to fear demons, and you have no reason to be naive about demons. But you have every reason to boast about Jesus before the demons. Satan has decisively lost the war Satan has been doomed to the eternal destruction and damnation in hell. In fact, it is demons that should fear you, brothers and sisters. Are we not told in James 4, 7? Submit therefore to God, but resist the, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you hear that? The demon is scared to death by those who humbly submit themselves to God and staunchly resist them by the full armor of God. Do you gird up your loin, brothers and sisters, to fight the demons by praying to Jesus for his protecting and defending power for you? Do you pray for Jesus' work to destroy the kingdom of Satan by saving elect, the elect into the kingdom of grace? Do you memorize and meditate the scripture as a weapon to discern and to denounce the lies from the demons?
Do we evangelize the lost with the great hope that the conquering Jesus is now reigning in heaven on his throne so that your evangelism will have hope to convert sinners? You have no hope of evangelism except in the power of the conquering Jesus Christ. We have seen the mystery of man in the, boundary, in the bondage of the demons apart from Jesus' power. We have also seen Jesus' supreme authority to overcome demons. Now we will see how we ought to respond to Jesus' delivering power for us. In verse 14, the herdsmen who witnesses this miracle, they ran away to report what they saw in the city and in the country. So people came to Jesus, and in verse 15, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed now was sitting down, closed, and his right mind. He's back to normal, they saw. They no longer needed to try to bind him with shackles and chains. This man was no longer dangerous to himself and to others, and their initial response was being frightened, which is normal for those who witness divine power, just as Jesus' disciples were afraid when they saw Jesus steal the wind and the sea. So far, so good, isn't it? They had heard the testimony about the swine, and they had seen the man free from the demons, and they seemed to believe what they had heard and seen to be true. You would expect them to bow to Jesus and believe in Him as their Savior and Lord. Wrong. Wrong. We are told in verse 16 and 17, as soon as they heard what happened to this man and the swine, they asked Jesus to leave their region. Why? Obviously, they knew Jesus caused such a great loss of their hurts, and thus they could not bear with Jesus. They were angry, in other words. So, now, you might think, wouldn't their response be natural and normal because, after all, Jesus destroyed their livestock by which they make a living. Would it not be normal for them to be angry? Can we really blame them for their rejection of Jesus? Well, their rejection of Jesus is condemnable because they interpreted these miracles by sight and not by faith. And because they cherish their temporal possession while trash Jesus, the eternal Son of God, being present with them. It was actually Jesus' kindness to them to perform miracles to these Gentile people. Jesus did not travel everywhere, to be clear. Jesus did not travel everywhere. Jesus did not perform miracles to everyone who wanted to see. No. But Jesus went to this Gentile region. Jesus restored a man who had been so troubling and frightening because of the demon possession. Jesus solved a big problem for them. And Jesus also attested his divine authority over demons by an undeniable miracle. That is 2,000 swine went to the sea. And yet, while these people only believed the miracles of Jesus to be true, they did not believe in Jesus to whom the miracle pointed to. They had every concern for their loss of their livestock, but zero concern for their countrymen who had just been free from the mystery of demonic bondage. Nor did they have any concern about the Lord who gave them the livestock. 
They depended upon their possessions, and they despised the presence and power of the Lord. Did not Jesus have the right to give and to take away their stuff? Was not eternal salvation in Jesus more important than their temporal possessions of the swine? Ultimately, was not Jesus infinitely more valuable than their swine? Their being frightened was merely being afraid of something supernatural and beyond their comprehension, rather than a sincere and reverence for the Lord grounded on faith. They were indeed more condemnable than before, because now they had received more revelation from the Son of God, and yet they still heartlessly despise and rejected Him. However great the miracles were, nothing really convinced them to embrace Jesus. Is that you, brothers and sisters? Are you one of those who only care about good things given by the Lord and yet not so much concerned about the Lord Himself? How do you deal with your disappointment, especially the loss of your temporal material things in, this, in the providence of God? Do you trust the Lord for His most wise and holy providence? Do you count it as an opportunity for your sanctification, especially to learn contentment in the Lord? Or do you question Jesus' authority to give and to take? Does your temporal loss point you to Jesus for your ultimate satisfaction? Or does it make you resent Jesus for his sovereignty? Do you blame Jesus for taking away what you cherish because you want anything but Jesus? Are you even tempted to think, if Jesus were to take away this or that, then I'll leave him and I'll kick him away? If that's your case, then I urge you to repent today of your sin of loving any other thing more than Jesus himself. Remember that no one loves you more than Jesus. No greater mercy you have ever received than the mercy of Jesus to deliver you from the demons and your sin. And nothing is worth more than Jesus. In verse 18, seeing the hardness of this, seeing the hardness of this people, Jesus was leaving. As he was getting on the boat, suddenly this man was exploring Jesus that he might accompany him. But we must ask a question. Did he not hear his countrymen asking Jesus to leave? Did he not know that Jesus had just caused an economic, an economic crash in his home country? Well, certainly he most likely did. But he just couldn't care less about that. Compared with the mercy and the power of Jesus, everything else was but nothing. All that matters to this man right now is that Jesus was his Savior and Lord who had delivered him from multiple demons. That's what he really cherished right now. He was so overwhelmed by Jesus' compassion that he wanted nothing but being with Jesus. Do you desire to be with Jesus, brothers and sisters, because you have tasted His goodness and His great mercy 
in delivering you out of the bondage of Satan and sin? Is that your desire? Or are you somehow distracted by so many other things in this life that you love, your love for Him is divided and your desire for Him is diminished? Have you forgotten how Jesus brought you out of the mystery under the slavery of Satan? You have every reason to love Jesus, to cling to Jesus, to delight in Jesus, for He is your deliverance and your salvation. Is that what you think and feel about Jesus? But in verse 19, surprisingly, Jesus did not allow this man to accompany him. Rather, Jesus commanded him to go home to his people and to report to them what great things, what great mercies God has done for him. And notice, this is an amazing kindness of Jesus to those people who had just rejected him and keep him away from their region. We see Jesus' long-suffering and kindness to the rebellious people. Jesus could have just left them and let them perish in their own sin, but instead, Jesus commissioned this man as a witness among them. And this man not only knew their culture, but more importantly, this man indeed experienced the Jesus' saving power no one can be better than he to be a living witness for Jesus' saving power. So in verse 20, this man went to proclaim what great things Jesus has done for him. Not only in his hometown, but also in the whole region of Decapolis, which was the largest large ten cities. And the result was that um, things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. They could not deny the fact that this man was fully restored to the right mind and right behavior from demon possession. You see, your desire, brothers and sisters, to bear testimony of what great things that Jesus has done for you. You don't have to be a preacher in order to bear testimony for Jesus. You don't have to go to the seminary in order to be a witness for Jesus. You don't have to be eloquent either. You just need to be a Christian who truly experienced the what great mercies that have been done by Jesus for you. Are you excited about the great things that Jesus has done for you? That is saving you out of the bondage and darkness and death and bringing you to His light. If not, why not? You ought to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your heart, to impress upon your heart the great things Jesus has done for you. That is your power and motivation for evangelism. Satan and his fellow demons, though invisible, yet really exist and are at work against you. But Jesus too is at work and active for you. And Jesus is infinitely greater and infinitely more powerful than the entire number of the demons. But this miracle of casting demons is only a foretaste of a greater miracle and a greater victory. That is Jesus' powerful death on the cross. Jesus purchased the ultimate victory over the demons on the cross. Think about this. Before conversion, you and I were liable to every mystery 
including the slavery of Satan because of our sin and guilt. God justly gave guilty sinners over to the hand of Satan as a righteous punishment, which you and I deserved. And yet, out of his mercy for you and me, God sent his son to pay the penalty of your sin. Pay the penalty not to Satan, but to God by his atoning death on the cross. By Jesus' death on the cross and your union with Jesus by faith, your sins are forgiven, your guilt is removed, and thus your liability to Satan's captivity is cancelled, and the Satan's power to grab you is once and for all defeated. Jesus' death on the cross is not a failure, but a victory over Satan and all his fellow demons. Satan and his demons might rejoice in the beginning in Jesus' death on the cross, thinking that, well, it was their victory, but they would soon regret because Jesus' death brought the ultimate death of Satan. Are we, told, are we, we are told in Colossians 2.15, Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And we are told in Hebrews 2.14 as well, through Jesus' death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. If you believe in Jesus, then by your union with him, his victory it's your victory as well. Although Satan may still assault you, yet Satan has forever lost his control of you. And the power to resist Satan is yours in Jesus. Christians, therefore, rejoice in your ever triumphant King Jesus and resist and fight the demons by Jesus' ever conquering power. For those of you, who have not believed in Jesus, this text is a severe warning for you. You have every reason to grieve and to tremble because you are under the dominion of your sin and Satan, leading you to eternal death and punishment. So let me plead with you tonight, repent and come to Jesus, who is your only hope of salvation and deliverance. Let Jesus and not Satan let Jesus be your king and master. That indeed is your true freedom and joy. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.